All right. Good morning, everybody. Nothing like a little James Bond to get the heart pounding a little bit this morning. You didn't expect that when you came to church this morning, did you? Well, it is a day full of surprises. There is no way, there is no way that James Bond is going to let that guy get away, right? Because he always gets his guy, right? He always gets the bad guy. There is no way that he is letting him out of his sight. There is no way he's going to let him get away. We are not all James Bond, you know, in, in our dreams, right? In my dreams, I'm James Bond, right? We are not all James Bond, but we're all chasing something, aren't we? The question is, what is it? What is it? When you walked in here this morning, you may not realize it, but your life is focused on something. Some, something is, is consuming your time, your energy, your resources is a priority for you, what you're focused on, what you're consuming. Every single one of us is chasing something. It may not be a villain in an action movie, but we're all chasing something. What has your time? What is your focus these days? Maybe for you it's a, it's a better job or a raise at your current job or a, a big promotion or maybe it's a big project at work. Maybe it's a new relationship. Maybe it's the, the, uh, the approval of a, of a date. Maybe some likes or some comments on social media. Maybe it's just a happy life. I want to have a, a nice, safe happy life. And that's the primary goal. That's what you're chasing after in your life. Maybe it's more, more balance. I hear people say that all the time. I just want a better work-life balance. You know, I, I just don't want to be so busy all the time. And that is your focus. Maybe you're here this morning. I just, I just want a sense of purpose and meaning. Maybe it's in your job or just in life. You just kind of feel that emptiness or whatever it is. Better yet, another way to ask this question, because we all have blind spots, right? Sometimes we don't know what we're focusing on. Sometimes we don't know where our life is headed. And so if I ask those people that know you the best, if I ask those people that, that, uh, that know and love you the best, your, your, your spouse, your parents, your kids, your best friend, who, what would they say is the driving focus of your life? What would they say about you? What would they say you're chasing after? Oh, their life is all about fill in the blank. Okay? And don't give me the Sunday school answer. I know, Jesus, we're not there yet. Okay? I'm going to back up a little bit. Let's get honest. Okay? You're at church. Be honest. What are you chasing after these days? And so the big question then is if and when you catch whatever it is that you're chasing, when you accomplish that, the question you've got to ask yourself is, is that going to be enough? If what I'm going after, if my family is happy if, 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 if I get my kid a full-ride scholarship, if I get that raise, if I get that promotion, if I get to move, if I get that new job, whatever it is for you, if I get that person to like me, if I get 100 likes on Facebook, simple as that. Is it going to satisfy you? Is it going to be enough? And the amazing thing is that in our scripture reading that you heard read earlier from Proverbs 3, and all throughout the Bible, particularly in the book of Proverbs where we're going to be today, the Bible makes it very clear there is one thing worth chasing in this life. There is one thing worth pursuing, and it may not be what you think. It's wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. wisdom. It is wisdom. Listen to how Proverbs says this, actually backing up a chapter before our reading in Proverbs chapter 2. You can see it up on the screen. My child, and when, when, uh, when Solomon is writing here and says my child, he's meaning all of us. Listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to, there's that word again, what is it? Wisdom. 
wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. And then let's read verse 4 together, what's in the yellow up here. Let's read it together. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. I think what Solomon's trying to say is chase after them like James Bond after a bad guy, okay? To give you a visual of that. There is a reckless abandon and a passion is I've got to get this. And if I don't get this, not everything's going to fall into place for me. I'm going to be running for a long time in my life. Search for what? For the wisdom of God. Whatever it is that has your focus these days, whatever you're pursuing, I mean, don't you want it to be worth it? Can you imagine if that scene ends and James Bond is still chasing him and he just runs out of breath and he's tired and the guy gets away? Right? Like buzzkill, wah, wah, right, for that scene? Some people, that's how their life has gone. I'm wasting so many precious moments of my life chasing after things that are never going to fill me up. Some of you are just on the treadmill. You've been coming to, to church your whole life, and yet the focus of your life, what you're chasing after, is not filling you up. Don't you want to be worth it, whatever you're going after? And that's why I want you to hear this this morning. What you are chasing after matters. Because at the end of the day, when you get that thing, if and when, it's either going to fill you up or it's going to leave you empty. And today we're going to find out why what you chase in life matters. Okay? So if you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 3. That's going to be our reading. We encourage you to bring your Bibles every single week. If you don't have one, grab one from the kiosks around the worship center. That's our gift to you. But we would encourage you to bring that and use that in worship. If you have it on your phone, your tablet, bring that out. Proverbs chapter 3. We're excited to dive into the book of Proverbs during the month of May. We're taking a book of the Bible a month. Uh, here at Hope uh, this year in, in the year of the Bible. And we're also kicking off a brand new sermon series today, which I'm super pumped about, called Every, Every Sermon Series uh, This Year Has a Hashtag in Front of It, because we're just really cool. Uh, or we try to be, maybe. Uh, hashtag Scripture and a Movie. So if you want to tweet about it, you can. And what we're going to do is we're going to use some modern-day parables. Jesus used parables or stories uh, to speak of these deep kingdom truths, and we're going to as well. So it's a little coming soon for you. Uh, today, I'm not going to tell you what movie we're going to tackle yet later on. It's not James Bond. Don't worry. Uh, but next week, it's Mother's Day weekend, and we're going to look at a movie that every mom loves, and that's Incredibles 2. You'll be surprised at that one. There's a pretty strong mom role in, in that uh, as well. Uh, to walk us through uh, the book of Proverbs, we're going to kind of use these as illustrations. The 18th and 19th is this powerful, powerful film, if you haven't seen it, called Beautiful Boy. And we're going to be talking about recovery and healing and the brokenness and the wounds and the addictions that all of us have. Just a powerful story there. And then May 25th and 26th, Memorial Day weekend, we'll be looking at any Black Panther, any Marvel fans out there? Yeah, quite a few. Absolutely. Fantastic film about the power of sacrifice and love on that Memorial Day weekend. So if you have friends or neighbors or coworkers that, that you think would, would enjoy some of these, it's like, hey, we're going to be watching movie clips uh, during church. So if you want to come and check that out, these next few weeks would be a great time to invite as well. So in May, we're going through the book of Proverbs. And if you, you don't know a lot about Proverbs, I just want to set the stage for the month of May here. Just give you a quick little overview of what Proverbs is like. A proverb is a, is a short saying that shares wisdom. Proverbs is written differently than a lot of other books of the Bible. It's not in narrative form. It's these short little, here's how I would describe it. 
Proverbs is the Twitter of the Bible, okay? For those of you that are on Twitter, okay? It's just these short little 180 characters or less, well now 240 or whatever it is, characters or less, little bits of wisdom. But instead, the difference is with Twitter, it's everybody else's opinion. In Proverbs, it is God's timeless, tested, life-changing truth. Proverbs is in the Old Testament, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible. So if you've got your Bible and you're looking at it, a lot of people are like, well, I'll just open up and try to find it. Well, it's going to be about a third of the way through your Bible. It's in the Old Testament, which is the first part of it. And Proverbs is actually a part of three books that make up what scholars call wisdom literature. Theologians call it wisdom literature. So it's Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, and then the book of Job as well. So it's wisdom literature. And so large parts of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, for that matter, were written by King Solomon, who happens to be the son of King David. You remember King David from, you know, David the sling and knocking down Goliath and that whole bit? He later becomes king, and his son, King Solomon. Well, the story goes that long ago, King Solomon asked God for an abundance of wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. wisdom. It's the word of the day. For wisdom. And God, in his abundant blessings, gave that to King Solomon. And so King Solomon became known throughout history as one of the wisest men to have ever lived. And God spoke through him in a divine way, in an authoritative sense, to write a lot of these parts of the wisdom literature. And so King Solomon writes a lot of these things as well. And I want to back up to Ecclesiastes for a second because Solomon writes of his experience chasing after some things as well. I mean, he's kind of an old-school James Bond in that way. He was chasing after a lot of different things in life. Money, wealth, the ladies, popularity, success, all of those things. And we read this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 8. He's kind of reflecting back on his own life, speaking in this way. He says, There was a man all alone, and he had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, meaning he just kept going on the treadmill of life. And yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. This, too, is meaningless, a miserable business. Okay? In other words, he is chasing. He is chasing. It even goes on to say in the next verse that living your life and chasing after things that do not satisfy for the things of this world is like chasing after the wind. And if you want to get a sense of what that's like, the next windy day, go out to a park and go try to catch the wind and see how goofy you look, right? That's what we do inside when we give our heart to things other than God. You are literally chasing the wind. And somebody could look at you and go, well, that's silly. You're never going to get it. God says, I know. I created you to have a relationship with me, but there's no joy, there's no peace, there's no contentment when you chase after the wind. What you're chasing matters because it's going to leave you full or empty. And so looking at our reading today from Proverbs chapter 3, something has now shifted in Solomon. He's reflecting back on that part of his life in Ecclesiastes, and now in Proverbs he's sharing us this, with us this wisdom that he's gained along the way. So look at Proverbs chapter 3 now, verses 1 through 6. My child, never forget the things I've taught you. So picture your heavenly father saying this to you. This is not like a dad to a little kid. This is your dad to you. My child, never forget the things I've taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. And then let's read verses 5 and 6 together on the screen. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. That verse is very familiar to me. 
In fact, many, many moons ago, at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Story City, Iowa, as a young punk pastor's kid, I stood up on this, Confirmation Sunday, and read that verse, and that was my confirmation verse as an eighth grader. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and it remains one of my favorite verses to this day. How do you get the peace and the joy and the satisfaction, the abundant life that you're looking for? You seek his will above all else. Of all the things that we could focus on and run after and chase after, why wisdom? Because of this, a wise life is a soul-satisfying life. A wise life is a soul-satisfying life. You get godly wisdom, you get everything else. Everything else that you're looking for, that you're seeking after today, that you long for, when all is quiet and you're all alone, I, I just get that in my life. You get godly wisdom, it's going to point you in that direction. You get wisdom, you get everything else. I wonder in all of your busyness these days, in all of the hecticness of your full schedule, in all of your priorities and to-do lists, when's the last time you stopped and asked yourself the question, do I like who I'm becoming? Who, what type of a person am I becoming along the way? Am I a wise mom? Am I a wise dad? Am I a wise friend? Am I a wise leader? Am I a wise employee? Am I a wise boss? What type of person are you becoming along the way? What's the question, in fact, I was thinking about it, what's the question that we ask kids when they're, when they're growing up, right? Whether they're young or, you know, it's, it's confirmation weekend, it's going to be graduation weekend in a couple weeks, and we always ask kids and students this question, right? What do you want to be when you grow up, right? What do you want to be when you grow up? Are you going to be a doctor? Are you going to be a nurse? Are you going to be a lawyer? Are you going to be a teacher? Are you going to go to college? What are you going to be, what are you going to be when you grow up? And maybe... I know for a fact a more important question is, who are you going to become as you grow up? Who are you going to become as you grow up? And for us as adults, are you becoming and have you become a person of godly wisdom? Do you like who you're becoming? And I've said it once and I'll say it again. You can grow old and never really grow up. Right? You can grow old and never really grow up because spiritual maturity has nothing to do with earthly age. I know there's people that are in their 20s that are more spiritually mature than people in their 60s and 70s because they never took the time to look in the mirror and say, I'm on the treadmill, I'm chasing after all these things in life. And they've never done the hard work of saying, what type of man or woman does God want me to be? Yes, God cares about what job you have. Yes, God cares about what car you drive. Yes, God cares about how much money is in your bank account. Or not. Gosh, guys, he's way more concerned with the condition of your heart today. Are you a person of wisdom? Now, it's easy to get tripped up on that, that, that language. Are you a person of wisdom? Like, John, is it just like being smart? Like, I'm, I'm sort of smart. Is, is that what this is about? Like, why is that the chief aim? Why is that everything that we're chasing after? It's easy to get confused and think that when the Bible speaks of wisdom, it just, well, I'm going to consume more information. I'm going to be a really smart person, right? I'm just, I'm just going to have more knowledge. Nothing could be further from the truth. When the Bible speaks about wisdom, it's a very different type of wisdom. The, actually, the original Hebrew there, now get a load of this, how you say this, chokmah, okay? And you have to have the in front of the ma, okay? 
It's like you're clearing your throat, okay? Turn your neighbor right now and say, I apologize if I spit on you. Just tell him that right now, okay? This is what you have to do with Hebrew, okay? So get ready to clear your throat. If you have a cold or allergies, you're welcome. Just clear your throat for free here in the middle of the sermon, all right? Everybody, chokmah. I'll say chokmah. Chokmah. Yeah, kind of feels good, doesn't it? Chokmah. Chokmah is not the kind of wisdom that's gaining more knowledge. Chokmah is a skill or applied knowledge. Chokmah as in wisdom is not like, I know all this information, therefore I'm really smart. It's, I've been refined and battle-tested by applying the Word of God and the Holy Spirit into every facet of my life. That's chokmah. That's godly wisdom. Far from just mental activity, it's about application. Anybody can fill their head with knowledge. Very few people take the time in their life to become wise. To become men and women of God that are wise, that, that are able to navigate life's challenges and changes with godly wisdom. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one. Maybe this is just an open group therapy session for me, but has anybody had a moment in their life recently where you're just like, I need help. Like, life is overwhelming. I don't know how to do this, okay? One of the greatest statements, this is for free, this is in my notes. One of the greatest statements that you can say to give yourself grace is whatever you're facing, parenting, grad school, uh, sickness, disease, struggle in your family, marriage struggles, budgeting, whatever it is across the board, and you run up against something you don't know, a way to give yourself grace is just to say, you know what, I guess I haven't learned that yet. I know so many people that say, gosh, I'm a terrible mom. I'm a terrible, I'm a terrible, I'm a terrible friend. I can't believe I screwed that up and we just beat ourselves up and hate ourselves. You can't microwave wisdom. So when you face those times and those challenges in your life, what if you just said, you know what, I guess I haven't learned that yet. But I want to. But I want to. I want to be that person that has wisdom. Because here's the reality, and maybe I'm the only one, but this is what I've discovered. You can't read enough blogs on how to navigate parenting teenagers. Can I get an amen from somebody out there? Okay, some of you are in that right now. Like, well, I read a blog about it. Doesn't make you wise. You can't study enough books to thrive in marriage. There is a couple in this church that has been married for 67 years. I just want to sit down with them and hang out with them and say, how do you do that? Yeah, praise God, right? Okay, yeah, absolutely. You can't learn how to thrive in marriage for 67 years and understand the heart of your spouse by reading a book or going to a seminar about it. It takes learned, time-tested, battle-tested, godly wisdom. You, you can't memorize enough cool quotes or, or ideas to handle the death of a loved one or a major job transition or make a big life decision. Wisdom is not found by, by, by screwing up a bunch of times and saying, well, I messed up. I guess I'll learn from my mistake next time, right? And you fall down and you get back up and you fall down and you get back up. That's not how you acquire godly wisdom. This is how you acquire godly wisdom. Every situation of your life, including failure, I guess I haven't learned that yet. But Holy Spirit, I know that you're with me. Teach me in this moment. 
teach me in this moment? Do you have a teachable spirit? And you invite the Holy Spirit to lead you so that the next time you're in that or a similar situation, better yet, it's not like the Holy Spirit's out here. It's right here. It's inside of you. It's whispering in your ear. And you feel the Holy Spirit say, now this way, now that way. It's not just, well, I screwed up again. A couple, well, last year during our giving campaign, we had our time and talent and treasure cards, and I had a guy write on there that couldn't give financially. He said, I can't, you know, he had lower income. I think he might have been homeless at the time. And he said, you know, John, I can't give financially to the campaign, but he wrote on his card, but I've got a wealth of wisdom of what not to do in life, so I can share that, okay? <laughs> We're getting a little closer, okay? But screwing up a bunch of times and saying, well, I don't want to do that again, that doesn't lead to godly wisdom. Screwing up a bunch of times saying, I don't want to do that again, and then inviting the Holy Spirit to teach you, that's what creates wisdom. Does that make sense? Okay? We're inviting God into every single situation. It's like a skill that you develop and practice over time. And it's no wonder back, get this, it, this is a little homework for you. In Exodus 31, this word for wisdom, hokmah, is actually used to describe craftsmen, woodworkers, metal workers, sculptors, people that have developed this trade or this craft, woodworkers, fine arts. That's wisdom. Maybe godly wisdom is less of a science as you've discovered that maybe life can't be figured out like a math problem. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sculpture. It's a beautiful woodworking project. It, it, it takes skill and practice that's developed over time. So why should we chase after wisdom with everything that we've got? Why, why is that the focus? Because real life demands real skills. You can't just read about it and say, well, now I'm wise. I know this all too well. Some of you maybe heard this story before, but how many of you remember driver's ed? Anybody remember driver's ed in those days? Or maybe you're in it right now with your teenager or whatever it was. Back in the day, I remember I was getting ready. I was 16. I was getting ready to, to take my... Uh, my driving test. And so I got the driver's ed manual there from the DOT. I went through driver's ed, ready to take my test. And man, I, I must have memorized that, that driver's ed manual from cover to cover. I mean, I read everything. I studied it. I'm like, I have to pass this test. And I just nailed it. I went to the DOT and I just nailed it. Well, what I didn't realize is that there's the written test and then you have to like do it. <laughs> it's like the driving test, right? So my birthday fell in the month where there's a cop that has to sit a police officer that has to sit in the front seat with you. So I'm like, well, this will be great. I aced the written exam. So I get in the car, and what I should tell you, uh, to back up a second, is my birthday is in November, and a couple days before that, it had snowed like two feet, okay? This huge snowstorm in Iowa. This was a nice day, though, but there was a lot of snow, okay, to the point where it had packed down on the roads where you couldn't tell the difference between the road and the median, Okay? Had I ever driven in an Iowa winter? No, but I aced the written exam, right? So I get in there and we're driving along. I have no clue how to pump the brakes when you're on ice or when you're skidding along, right? I had no clue how to drive in Iowa winter weather. And so about halfway through the exam, all of a sudden the car, we're just going along and the car goes doo -doo, like this. And now we're kind of like up on a little mound. I'm like, that's, that's weird. That's a lot of snow. And then all of a sudden the car just sort of starts going doo -doo 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 -doo. And I'll never forget the look on the officer's face as she looked over at me. And as she's shaking in the car, she goes, do you know that you're driving on the median? <laughs> no. <laughs> but thank you. 
I'll take my flunking grade right now. And I did. I got three out of 20 possible points on my driving test, okay? But don't worry, I got it the fourth time I drove. But it's that's, that's other, you know, okay, I'm a great driver now and everything, okay? I aced the test. I read the manual from cover to cover. I had all the knowledge in the world. Why did I flunk the driving test? Because I was missing the hokmah of the DOT, okay? I didn't have the wisdom of Iowa driving skills. I hadn't done it. I hadn't applied what I learned. And so the next couple weeks to study before I did the driving test again, I took all of that information, this time with my dad in the front seat next to me, and we went to the mall parking lot in Ames, and we drove around. I mean, I'm driving on a, a brown Subaru station wagon stick shift. That's how I learned how to drive. But he was in my ear, my dad with 40 years of driving experience, in Iowa and Minnesota winter weather. And he's in my ear the whole time saying, no, stop, go, turn, slow down, brake, turn, you know, and then we go around town. Now take it easy on the curve, slow down. That is wisdom. But we have something way better than an earthly father sitting in the car seat next to us. You have your heavenly father, the God of the universe who created everything and who created you and knows you better than anybody else in the front seat with you in all circumstances of life and whatever you're up against, whispering that truth and that godly wisdom into your ears. Some of you are going through a divorce. Slow down. Learn to heal. That's from the enemy. That's not true. Some of you are navigating through uh, parenting and parent parenting feels a bit overwhelming. You can do this. I am with you. I'm right here. Slow down. Take care of yourself. Now go. Now turn. A little more. A little less. You got a budget to figure out. Deciding on whether to go to grad school. You're figuring out how to parent adult children. You're figuring out how to parent your parents. Now this. Now that. The wisdom of God. Your father right there next to you. I don't know about you, but when I'm in those situations in life where it just feels overwhelming, I need something way more than a pep talk. I need something way more than a blog post or some, somebody's opinions. When real life hits, <laughs> you need godly wisdom. And it's no coincidence that the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs are sort of a hypothetical father speaking to his child. You have that. Your heavenly father is with you. This wisdom is available for you today. It's not something that you have to be good enough or be a pastor or be Billy Graham or Mother Church. Well, then I'll get that. You have the exact same connection to God as anybody else. You have the access to this wisdom. And so it's no coincidence that every time that Proverbs speaks of wisdom, it's connected to the fear of the Lord. This wisdom is not some hypothetical thing out here, this, this, this moral grouping of ideas Hokmah, the wisdom that we're talking about, is actually a characteristic of God. In other words, if you're going to have wisdom, it's got to run through a pursuit of God. Okay? And that's why Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 puts it really clearly. Let's read it together on the screen. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you look at it like this, if you're a kind of a visual learner like I am, there is an order to things in the way that God created us and set up the world. If you think about it this way, 
If we want to get wisdom, there's something before that, Scripture says. I don't know anybody that doesn't want to be wise. I don't know anybody here today that says, yes, John, I need help navigating the questions and the decisions and the unknowns of life. Well, how do you get that? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So we pursue God, we chase after wisdom above all else, and that, the Bible says, leads to wisdom. I hang out with the wisest person in the world, the God, the Father that created me, and I get wisdom. Everybody wants a life of joy and peace and satisfaction. The problem is, is when we start here and we run after that, we wind up empty. And it's no wonder that we wind up empty because we have to go back to the source. There's a lot of people that want to be wise, but they just want to do what everybody else is doing. Oh, that's what all the young parents are doing these days with their kids. Oh, that's what all the college students and the young adults and the 20-somethings are doing. Oh, that's how you navigate life. Oh, that's the popular opinion. Oh, that's what I saw on television. Oh, that's what the media and the culture tells me to do. So I'll just start right there. You're never going to get wisdom if you start there. The beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. You go back to the source. Any road to wisdom is going to run through a pursuit of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The question is, do you have a teachable spirit? Or do you have a been there, done that mindset when it comes to your faith, to life? Do you have a teachable spirit? That's kind of what God asked me this past Wednesday. We always do faith statement night for our confirmation program for Power Life the Wednesday before Confirmation Sunday, which is today. And so I went, and five of our eighth graders stood right where I'm standing right now. Some of you are like, public speaking, I would rather get a root canal at the dentist, right? Five of our eighth graders stood right here and confessed their faith, professed their faith, said everything that, uh, what were you doing in eighth grade, right? Unbelievable. And you might think, you know, I was sitting there listening to that going, Oh, you know, that's cute, you know, that's nice, and, uh, you know, that's good for those young kids, and someday they'll really understand what they're saying. I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. I was blown away by their chokmah, wisdom coming from 13, 14, 15-year-old kids that have spent time with Jesus consistently. And thanks to Ryan, our student coordinator that you met, and our awesome student ministry volunteers for junior high and senior high. We had volunteers, men and women, adults that were here every single Wednesday night investing in the next generation and pouring their lives into these kids. Can we give God praise for our student ministry team this year? They did an incredible job. Incredible job. So Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, don't look anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, and faith, and in purity. And they're doing it. Have you noticed who all the people, a lot of the people in the blue shirts are today? The hospitality team? Our students. They serve all the time. You notice who's up here serving communion and ushering and greeting and doing, helping with coffee? It's our students. They're doing it. They're leading the church. Our junior high and senior high students at Hope Des Moines are not the future of the church. They're the church now. And so we say thank you to those of you that are students. Thank you for leading us. Thank you for setting that example. We need you. We value you. Keep standing up on the stage and proclaiming your faith and setting an example. Praise God for you. That's, that's the first half of that verse. But the second half, it's on us. Are we willing to learn from them? Do you have a teachable spirit? I mean, just in, in five, ten minutes on Wednesday night, 
I learned that having a place where you're loved and where you belong changes everything. I learned that face-to-face relationships are way better than online relationships. I learned that I can take my cares and my stress and my anxiety and bring it to God. I'm learning this from eighth graders, and I'm like sitting down here in the front row taking notes from them. Where is this coming from? You're 13, right? Hokma. They've seen it lived out because you can't be what you can't see, especially when it comes to parenting and leading. And then on Wednesday night, it hit me again. This is what I love about our Power Life program, our Ignition program for senior high students, even as early as our preschool and our Hope Kids that's going on right now. Our goal in these programs, the primary focus is not training up world-class athletes or scholars, you know, people that can get full rides to college or kids that can win a popularity contest or get full ride scholarships or whatever it is. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. Our primary goal, our driving force, what we're chasing after in our student ministries and our children's ministries here at Hope is that we're teaching them to be wise in the Lord. We're teaching them wisdom, to drive the car and not just memorize the manual of life. Because some of you are like, oh, they don't know anything yet. Just wait till real life hits. Spend any time with a junior high or high school student and ask them, how's life going? You would be shocked and blown away with how real life has gotten for them. Brokenness, pain, hurt, suicidal thoughts, Depression, divorce, high levels of anxiety, medication, bullying. You go down the list. Invitation to join games. The death of parents. The death of a sibling. You go down the list. Our kids. These kids. And yet they're standing on this stage proclaiming their faith. That God loves me more than anything in the universe. What our kids... What our students need in this church is way more than a youth group pep talk. Number one, they need you to be living examples of the faith, not to just walk by them and say, oh, that's cute that the students are serving. They need you to look them in the eyes and say, thank you for leading our church. Thank you for being a living example of what it means to live out their faith. Thank you for stepping it up and being the church now. I want to invest in you. I want to encourage you. I want to value you. That every child and every student in this church would know that they are just as much a part of things now and not just when they grow up someday. That we invest in them now. They don't need a pep talk. They need Jesus. They need real wisdom. And they need more than being stuck in front of the TV or the iPad. (laughs) They need adults that are willing to look them in the eyes, put their phone down and say, I love you and I'm here for you. Let's walk through life together. How else are they going to learn wisdom? How else are they going to learn it? And nobody knows that better than your friend and mine, Fred McFeely Rogers. You heard of him? Now, I have to give myself a little bit of props here. I don't have often do this, but I have successfully started the sermon with James Bond, and we're ending it with Mr. Rogers, okay? You don't get that everywhere, okay? How many of you are Mr. Rogers fans growing up? Anybody? Yeah, like everybody, right? How can you not be a fan of Mr. Rogers, right? Uh, my childhood, I, I grew up on a steady diet. Of, uh, of Mr. Rogers, uh, Animal Crackers, uh, and, uh, and Legos. Those were my three things growing up. Mr. Rogers was a staple in our house. And last year, this powerful documentary came out called Won't You Be My Neighbor. You remember the song, right? Won't you be, won't you be my... 
In honor of Mr. Rogers, turn to your neighbor right now and say, hello, neighbor. Tell him that right now. Hello, neighbor. Tell him that right now, right? Well, believe it or not, Fred Rogers saw this as his ministry. He was an ordained Presbyterian minister, right? Pastors have all the fun, right? But he saw his ministry not inside the walls of the church, but across the television waves. And that impact that he had as he studied in college and seminary, early childhood education, and what kids need and how to have a relationship with them, even through the television screen, that legacy is now being passed down because there's an animated show that's spun off of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood now called Daniel Tiger. And my kids are obsessed with it. They love it. And I'm fine with that. It is one of the best shows on television because it has Hokma. I'm watching that show going, Oh, and like Tiffany will catch me watching it sometime and then I'll like, they have these little jingles. You know what I mean? Like, the first you don't succeed, try again. You know, whatever it is, right? And I say that and I'm learning stuff from it because it's godly wisdom. And so these timeless truths for kids. And so as you watch this clip, I mean, I could just show you the entire movie and that would be a sermon. Go and watch this documentary. But as you watch this clip, I want to challenge you to see if you can see the wisdom of God shining through. And no, maybe the reason Mr. Rogers resonates with us so much, not just the show, but his life, is because this wisdom is not just for little boys and girls. You need to hear this today. I need to hear this today. Listen to the message of what he's talking about, and you tell me if this just isn't as much for us as it is for kids. Take a look. Maybe some of you adults needed to hear that this morning. Because that desire for love never goes away. You don't have to be a sensational parent for God to love you. You don't have to be a sensational employee. You don't have to be anything extraordinary to be worthy of love, that comes from your identity, that you are a beloved child of God. Love yourself and love others. And for those of you that are parents or have students, especially on this Confirmation Sunday, have you told them that recently? I mean, do they know that they don't have to do anything extraordinary to have your love, like you can't earn something that you already have, it's, it's yours. But you can't give away what you don't have. If you're gonna love people like Jesus calls us to love, some of you don't even like yourself. Why do you think Mr. Rogers was so powerful? Why do you think adults are still talking about it? Why do you think this is one of the biggest grossing films of 2018? Because we're just a bunch of grown up kids. And Mr. Rogers is saying these things that we know here, but we don't know here, that you are special. That there's only one you. And no matter what this world has thrown at you and said to you, you have value. You have purpose. You have meaning. You are special, meaning the God of the universe loves you. Mr. Rogers was not a hit because he had this charismatic personality or as you heard, some high production value on a show. Mr. Rogers was one of those people that you long to be around. 
And so many people can point back and say, I never knew him, but he was a mentor. He was a role model in my life. Be that for somebody else. Be that person that when somebody looks back on the story of their life and they can point back and say, yep, they reminded me of who I was. It's nothing special. He's not a superhero. He didn't do anything super special. He looked kids in the eyes through the television screen and reminded them of how valuable they are. And your heavenly father is telling you that today. I love what one of the commentators said about Mr. Rogers and his faith. It was a wide open Christianity. Oh, I pray that that would define us as a church. You guys, if we're going to run after anything, <laughs> let's not run after being the biggest church or the fanciest church or everything's perfect and we got everything figured out. Let's run after Jesus. Let's chase after Jesus and love people well. One of my favorite authors is Bob Goff, and he kind of reminds me of a sort of a modern-day Fred Rogers, in a way, and just the way that he loves people so well. And one of the quotes from his book that I love so well, I think just captures who Mr. Rogers is, is every time I wonder who I should love and for how long I should love them, God continues to whisper to me, everybody, always. Let me make it so clear what we're about as a church. God's love is for you. Everybody, always. Let's be that kind of church. Let's have that wide open Christianity. Let's have those wide open doors and let's continue to feed people that don't have enough to eat. And let's continue to love children and students and point them to Jesus Christ, not anything else in this world. Let's continue to love neighborhood kids from refugee families right here. Let's continue to fling wide our doors and that when we greet people and welcome them at the door, we open our arms wide and we say, no matter where you've been or what you've done, Lutheran Church of Hope is open for you and this is a place where you can be and come in stumbling and broken and bruised and beat up from whatever life has thrown your way and we're gonna open our arms to you and say, welcome home. Everybody, always. And that includes you. Everybody, always. Let's chase after Jesus as a church if we're gonna chase after anything and let's invite everybody along for the ride. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we prepare our hearts for communion.